Support for the Soundwriter Show is provided in part by Moon Motorcycles, a family-run operation located in Issaquah, Washington. Moon Motorcycles features a diverse selection of used bikes to choose from. Whether you're shopping for a used sport bike, cruiser, dual sport, sport touring, or street standard, you owe it to yourself to visit Moon Motorcycles and look over their large inventory. Have you got a used bike you want to consign? Get in touch with Moon Motorcycles today. Hi, this is Rich from Rich's Custom Motorcycle Seats, and welcome to the Soundwriter Show. Now live from the Crow's Nest Studio in beautiful downtown Broadview, Washington, join us for the latest episode of the Sound Rider Show, a candid hour featuring the people, places, and things that make up the fabric of one of the top motorcycle riding destinations in the world. And now here are your hosts, Tom Marin, Derek Roberts, and whoever else happens to drop by today. Greetings, riders. Welcome to the Sound Rider Show. I'm Tom Marin. I'm here with Derek Roberts. And this is uh, show 1702, the February 2017 show. And why don't we just go ahead and dive right into it, because there's a lot of interesting things happening in the world of motorcycling. And uh, this one is kind well, of... Well, look at what we got to talk about beef. Yeah. we got to talk about Grizzlies. we got to talk about iTunes. we got to talk about KTM. I mean, this is going to be an action-packed show. It's loaded. And let's start with the beef, because I've got a beef with this beef. And we're talking about potential motorcycle tariffs that might be coming to the United States. Yeah, not going to be a good thing. And, you know, a lot of people by now, because this is a February show and this happened in January, a lot of people have heard about the tariff that they want to impose on the European Union right. for uh, motorcycles between 50 and 500 cc's, which is not going to be that big an effect but we don't want to get the ball rolling on this because other things can happen but uh, in case you missed the news uh, certain people in our legislature want to enact a tariff for motorcycles coming in from uh, Europe specifically right between 50 and 500 cc's which includes a lot of ktm dirt bikes yep the new bmw 310 would be affected that by that would be affected by that if triumph decided that they wanted to do a 500 cc motorcycle well i don't know they're not eu they're they're uh, great britain that's true well there might be some sort of protectionist racket going on there but basically what the heart of this is what's happening is the united states beef lobby wants to import their beef to the eu the EU is saying, we don't want to take your beef. We don't want your dirty beef. If we don't it want had, your growth hormones. If it's hormone injected. And then the beef lobby is saying, well, hey, to our government, the United States government, if they're not going to take our beef, then let's hit them with the tariff on these European motorcycles. Which is just crazy. It's like, why don't you just grow beef that they want to buy? Well, you know, the whole thing, I think, is a disaster from a lot of angles. First of all, tariffs in general, I don't go for any of that protectionist racket. If people here want to buy motorcycles, they shouldn't be hit with what is a proposed 100% tariff. We're talking about doubling the price on small displacement European motorcycles. Consumers here in the United States shouldn't be subject to that just because a special interest lobby wants to ship their beef to some other country that won't take it. You know how much that little KTM was like a SX50? Yeah. That's like it's like a $2500 motorcycle right. already. You're going to pay $5000 for a 50cc KTM. Or think about, now. you know, we've got uh, what the the pro proposed KTM 390 Adventure that might be coming down the pike, this mm -hmm. BMW 310. Those are already expensive motorcycles. You're talking about I mean, there just there would be no imports. There would be no way that they would hit the shores here on the United States at those at those prices. No, and like you said, like you mentioned earlier, the biggest you know risk I think in all of this is that if we get the ball rolling on one, that's right. right. So then, then they might extend it to a higher CC level. Yeah. Um, back in the, I think it was in the eighties. You know, we put this post up on Facebook with a link about this, and yeah. the nice thing about that link is it takes you to the Asphalt Rubber article that explains the lobbying that was done in the 80s by Harley-Davidson to put a tariff on metric cruisers. Right. And so uh, people need to understand that, even though it's not part of this right now. But, you know, Harley-Davidson, they're not, they're not doing too well right now. 
And uh, surely Victory Motorcycles is doing they too are well not. right now. We'll talk about that a little bit later, yeah. Yeah, and so um, if we, we could see this lobbying come around again on the metric stuff. I mean, you get it started one place, it can it could bleed over, and it would be a, a nasty mess. Yeah, and you know, I think uh, for me anyway, I would draw an analogy to, you know, we're talking about the 70s and the 80s with American cars and Japanese car manufacturers and the United States were putting out some really crap cars, and they were kind of protected uh, from United States or from Japanese imports. And then once we opened that up, we kind of got better quality out of it. We got lower prices across all brands, and that's why I'm always hesitant in any of these protectionist measures. I I hate tariffs. I don't I don't like anything about this. Well, and you know you've got uh, Honda who makes cars here in America. Yep. So they probably wouldn't get hit by uh, in a, in a tariff if someone did a tariff against the metrics. But what about Yamaha, they don't make any cars here in America. Right. They don't make their pianos in America, so they're going to get it. And, and Suzuki, they don't even make a car anymore. Yeah, it's just it's the it's the proverbial can of worms here that we see over and over again. And I you know I know this will shock some listeners, but if you give the give the government an inch, sometimes they take a mile, right? Don't want to see it happen. Yeah, so, uh, but you know before we pay tr- attention to the pay attention to what's going on with all this, and uh, when it's time to. Uh, either use an AMA form online to send a notice to your representatives. Use it. You don't have to be a member of AMA in right. order to use their forms. That's right. And uh, this one will be closing at the end of January, but the AMA is always a good resource to keep up to date because there's always legislation coming down the pike, whether it's lane splitting, whether it's tariffs, there's always something that's relevant to motorcyclists. Yeah. I have friends who say, well, I'm not an AMA member anymore because I don't read the magazine. And it's like, you know, you got to remember you're supporting – right. What they're doing for your rights as a motorcyclist, not just getting a magazine. That's it. It's part of a larger organization there. But, you know, before we transition out of that, we got a lot of feedback on that on Facebook. What were some of your thoughts there? Because you kind of initiated that on the uh, social media front. Well, I also included in the posts that Europe doesn't want our GMO food. Right. And now that's not called out in the tariff, but it's just important to know that Europe doesn't want our dirty beef. That's the fact. There, yeah, there was, there is definitely some hesitation. That's what's kind of creating this. There, in some of the Facebook comments, I think some people made some good, relevant points. You know, you refer to it as GMO. This is more specifically hormone, though, because there is yeah. kind of a difference between yeah. you know the broader term GMO and hormone, hormone, excuse me, hormone injected, right? Mm-hmm. So growth hormones, right? So I think you know there might be some room to take. And of course, we want to focus more on motorcycles here on the show. But there might be, you know, that thread might be an interesting read for some of our listeners to kind of get in on the debate. Yeah, there was quite a bit of back and forth between people, and there definitely was. I yeah, had to remove a few responses. Well, you know, we always like to keep it clean <laughs> uh, on the Sound Rider show and uh, on the uh, social media fronts, for that matter. But an interesting topic. Uh, all in all, though, just make sure you keep up to date with you know all these legislative legis- legislative actions that are coming down the pike because you just you never know when it's going to hit home. Yep, exactly. Um, so uh, January, I missed you at snow camp. Yeah, so you went up to snow camp, right? I did. I went to snow camp, but I didn't ride the motorcycle. I did drive the car because I was going to take the kitchen stuff over to help Rolf out with some sure. of the cooking if he got a lot of people there. So for those listeners who aren't familiar with what snow camp is, why don't you give us a quick rundown of sort of the festivities? And maybe even the genesis behind Snow Camp, because it's been going on for well, well over a decade now. Yeah, I think these basically got started in Europe maybe 50, 75 years ago. Okay. People would ride to a place on their motorcycles. In the winter. In the winter. Yeah. And we had them here. We, we have some information on Soundrider buried in the archive about the ones that, were, that happened here in the 50s. And uh, um, just people gather, and we make a fire. And uh, somebody always makes sure there's a ton of firewood. Um, Which is necessary. Be- being that I brought my kitchen when I aimed the uh, infrared laser thermometer at the fire one night, we had that thing pumping at a thousand degrees. Wow! So uh, you guys were you'd be warm if you went, but you had to be near the ring. Yeah, were you guys casting some engine blocks up there, doing some metal pouring and that kind of thing with that kind of heat? Probably. Right. <laughs> So the funny thing was is that I thought, well, I'm going to be a good guy and bring a bunch of those uh, grabber heat warmers, but I need to order some, so I ordered them up from my distributor in Utah. Right. And uh, the day before I'm supposed to get them, I get a notice that says your order is delayed in Twin Falls, Idaho due to weather. Uh Uh-oh. So we never got them. 
So I have a bunch of grabbers now that need to go, and we, we've got some uh, nice packages online in the store for those. So these are the chemical activated, uh, chemically activated little pocket charcoal things. Charcoal oxide. Right. So like you, you squeeze them, though, and then they get warm, right? So you're supposed to like keep them in your pockets or you yeah, can put them in your shoes. Activated. Okay. There's no chemicals. And they have uh, three sizes. They have ones you can put in your shoes. Right. They have ones you can put in your gloves. And they have some that you can tuck into a top pocket on a jacket. And that's uh, considered a body warmer. Or you put it in gotcha. a vest or whatever. And uh, and the nice thing is that you, you don't plug them in. So if you get off the bike, you're still going to stay warm. You know, whereas if you have right. heated clothing, once you undo the wire, you're done. Have you ever? Do you have any great success stories with using these? Have you ever been in like a sort of extreme cold and tried to use these? Well, I actually had them with me one day on a poker run that was happening in the middle of January. Right. And uh, somebody came in and they had gotten wet and they, they were, you know, they were not dressed watertight in any way. And they got wet and they were shivering and shaking and I pulled out my bag and handed this girl uh, several sets of them. And, uh, you know, I took the chill off her. Definitely. She was happy again, and she was able to finish the poker run. Well, I tell you, not directly related to motorcycles, but many, many years ago, my brother and I went to uh, travel to Green Bay uh, for what was the Ice Bowl 2. And Brett Favre's last game as a Green Bay Packer, and I had my shoes stuffed with these things, just trying to make it through. Because oh, yeah. it was like it was like negative twenty there. Uh, yeah, it was a brutal, brutal uh, evening, but definitely worth it, you know, to kind of get the chance to see Brett Favre play in his last game. But these things can be pretty powerful, so yeah, so yeah. check them out. So um, we'll be talking a little bit more about cold stuff. Uh, we got a we had a real fun agenda today. Um, we're kind of short on uh, calendar items, so we'll do news bites and calendar together, uh, and then we'll have our babble section, right? Which is going to be fun. We're going to do a Q and A, but it's uh, it's an interesting way that we put this together. It is. And then uh, we'll have some uh, outro tips and tricks, and uh, I, I don't know if it's going to be a long or a short show. We'll have to find out. Yeah, it just depends on how long winded we are, right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're never long. We're no, no, no. Not your humble broadcasters here. Hey, so suppose you're riding your motorcycle along through the Cascades a couple of years from now, mm-hmm. and you turn a corner, instead of there being a black bear in the road, right. like has happened to me before, sure. maybe you too, uh, now there's a grizzly bear, because they're going to import some grizzlies into the Cascades and and try to up the population. Really? Think? They're bringing grizzlies into the Cascades. Yeah. So, But there's already there's a small population, but they're trying to there's grow a, it. There's a very right. small population of like eight that they know of. Well, so be- they're going to bring in some from Montana, radio collar them, and watch what happens. Because grizzlies are notorious for covering, I think, pretty wide territories. Uh-huh. So that's going to be uh, that's going to be interesting to see how that evolves. Um, well. I'm always for more wildlife. Grizzlies are dangerous creatures, though, so you're going to want to be a little more careful if you start to do some motorcycle camping, I guess. But my understanding is that they basically, they really don't want to have anything to do with humans. It's more like when humans who were tracking them and hunting them, when they get too close to them, they're going to get whacked if they don't get their gun out fast enough. Right. But uh, they basically don't like to hang around human areas. That is, is true. My understanding. They are much less confrontational than black than uh-huh. black bears tend to be. Um, my grandpa always used to joke growing up in Michigan that all black bears were like uh, teenagers because they will get into dumpsters, they'll knock over fences, they just are always sort of yeah. looking for destruction, as opposed to grizzlies, which tend to be a little more solitary. I think. So uh, yeah, that that'd be interesting. I'll be. Everybody, make sure when you get on your motorcycle a couple of years from now, you're on the lookout for grizzlies. Yeah, and make sure that you have your camera because that might make a great entrance into another Soundwriter photo contest. Well, you're not supposed to take those bear selfies, are you? I think you're supposed to. Uh, it's, you get your arm around him. You know, you instead of playing dead, you play friendly. Yeah. And then you get your phone out, and I think that's that's what I would suggest. <laughs> Talk right? to the grizzlies. Yeah. Hey, so uh, online we have the results of the 2016 photo contest. Got some really nice stuff. Yeah. And uh, uh, hats off to Andy Wade, who had the People's Choice Award. Mm-hmm. Really nice shot of uh, a picture of his brother Vernon in Oregon going down the, the road and uh, Mount Adams up in front of him, yep. and they're in the snow. And I was looking at that picture kind of closely the other day, and I noticed that whatever road they're on, it had been plowed, but it was like a one-lane forest service road. It seemed like it, yeah. Maybe they were up there doing some work, but in the snow with the sidecar and uh – the uh, mountain in the distance there. Really, really great shot. Yeah, yeah. that's odd. So uh, you brought to my attention the other day. Now, we are uh, we are moving into our third year that's on right. this show. Yeah. 
And we're pretty well seated in places like iTunes and TuneIn, uh, Stitcher, all the all the podcatcher places. Yep. Uh, but you mentioned that we really need to get some action going on iTunes. We've got one review out there. It's a five-star review. Yes. Very nice comment. We need about 10 more. Right. Well, and that's the thing, you know, and this is a little bit of a shameless plug for the show here, but if you go to iTunes and you type in motorcycle, you'll see hundreds of podcasts, right? And we've listened to quite a few of them. Mm-hmm. Some of them have some to offer, some of them not so much, but we'd really like to make our presence a little more well-known so that people can tune in and uh, you know get kind of an idea of what we have to offer. And those five stars go a long way in doing that. So it's a shameless plug, but if you listen to us on iTunes and you can give us a rating, uh, we'd and, certainly appreciate it. And I don't take any it. rating. You don't have yeah. to do five stars. Be if you honest. think we're only a three-star podcast, and just give us three stars. Just, yeah. It's just if we get, uh, you know... A, a number of ratings, then we'll start moving up through the thing. Right. Um, because instead of, like, we're at the bottom right now, but we don't, you know, it's a, it's a local show. We that's understand right. that. We, we certainly do like to provide national and universal information, like when we talk about beef tariffs. Sure. And we have, you know, we've had some uh, fan mail, uh, quote-unquote, from really distant areas of the globe. Like, we've had some gentleman, that gentleman from uh, Australia that we mentioned a couple of months yeah. ago, and uh, we get people listening from all over the United States. But, you know, the one of the, the kickers here really is that we have that five-star rating, but it doesn't show up in the search as a five-star show until yeah, you get until right later. until you get a certain number there. So give us an honest rating, and if you're going to give us a one- or a two-star, also include your address so we can come and say hello. <laughs> so we can come over and do a burnout on your front yard. That's right. Yeah, uh, there you go. But yeah, you know, it's uh, it's we're heading into the third year. So we officially finished. You know, the second year. It's been a ton of fun. We really hope that the listeners and the readers are getting a lot out of it. And I got to tell you, I've enjoyed every episode. We've had a great chance to interview some great, great guests. We've got to cover a lot of ground. We've got to talk motorcycling. You know, once a month for uh, 24 straight months going into 25 here. So hats off to you, Tom, and hats off to our listeners for making it all possible. Yeah, we're going to keep it up. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, it's good for you. It's good for us. And this is Mixed Media. That's our parent company. So we got stuff for your eyes on soundwriter.com. we got right. stuff for your ears and the headphones. Uh, we got stuff to uh, for, for your other senses when you come to the rally. That's right. It's everything. So your complete one-stop shop for motorcycling in the Pacific Northwest. We'll get you taken care of. Well, there you go. Long-winded segment number one. Right. We are done with that. We're going to be uh, back here shortly for News Bites and the Calendar. On the February show of on the February Sound Rider show. Stick around. Support for the Sound Rider show is provided in part by Rich's Custom Seats. Do long days on the road take their toll on your body? That's because stock seats and generic aftermarket seats don't fit anybody. Have your motorcycle seat custom fit to your body. Improve your ergonomic positioning and enjoy long days in the saddle with a Rich's Custom Seat. Just a ferry ride from Seattle. Experience a Rich's Custom Seat today. Hey everybody, this is Andrew from Moscow Moto and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, my name is Dan Muir. I'm from Silverdale, Washington. I ride, among other bikes, an R1150GS, and my favorite local ride is to uh, head up to Port Townsend in the afternoon just for a cup of coffee. Show, and we're going to combine the news bites and calendar segment this month. Uh, not a ton going on in the calendar, but there's a lot going on in news bites. So let's dive right into it, Tom. What do you say? Yeah, sounds good. So, um, first thing we got on the list here is that uh, goodbye KTM from Seattle. They have uh, departed the Triumph of Seattle building. Oh, hell, the tariffs are already taking effect. Right? <laughs> <laughs> this is a pre tariff, but uh, my understanding is. Um, that there was a lot of issues with warranties getting covered mm. and things like that, and things weren't working out. So, uh, I, you know, if you need a KTM shop, uh, Derek, you, you just updated the yeah. dealer director. You said that KTM was like had the most additions. Oh, Husqvarna. 
Oh, Husker Varna. Yeah, okay. that had the most additions. There are some KTM additions, though. They are growing, including uh, down in Portland. Uh, CC KTM just opened up, oh, so if you're right. listening down in that region. Um, what do you think? Do you think it's warranty, or do you think sales volume just wasn't enough in sort of the downtown, greater downtown Seattle area here for that KTM brand? Well, no, I don't think so. I, if there was a problem with sale volume, it was that that store, which is a city store, needs city bikes, and yeah. they couldn't get enough, and then they get fed dirt bikes that they couldn't sell. Right. So that could be an issue, but I, I know uh, direct from an employee there that there was problems with getting covered on warranty things. Okay. And and, and uh, turnaround time, delays on on approvals for warranties uh-huh. and that sort of thing so you really can't afford that in the motorcycle business to have a delay in uh, these um, in these shops getting paid for warranty service there's just not enough money to go around so uh, something that Triumph Seattle always wanted to do when they opened up here in Seattle uh, remember they were up in Linwood before right uh, they wanted to have the Vespa line yeah but due to uh, restrictions that the dealers have an agreement you know you can't have two you can't have the same OEM within like 10 miles as a crow flies. right so they were off by uh, I've heard 600 feet I've heard a half a mile I don't know what the actual number was. A small was, amount, But though. it was very small yeah. amount. And so when they came down to Seattle, they had to give up the Vespa line. But uh, uh, Big People Scooters, who has Vespa down in the Georgetown area, mm-hmm. they had a location down on First Avenue. And they moved over to their original location on uh, Airport Way. Right. And that took that as the crow flies and opened it up. So now Triumph of Seattle has secured an OEM dealership of Vespa. Oh, well, that's fantastic. At least they're getting another manufacturer onto the floor there as KTM goes out. How do you think, uh, how do you see sort of the scooter market overall in Seattle? Well, it's a, typically it's been a good scooter market. Yeah. Uh, Vespa's a little tougher because sometimes they're a little more expensive than things like the Kimco's. Right. But uh, I see a lot of people riding scooters I around do too. still. Yeah. I see a lot of people year-round on their scooters here in Seattle, yeah. so hopefully they have some success with it. So uh, it kind of had a couple of us scratching our heads because, you know, up the street from Triumph of Seattle is the Moto International that has Aprilia and yep. Moto Guzzi. Now, both those lines are under the Piaggio brand. Right. So why didn't we see possible <laughs> go to Moto International? We don't know. Yeah. So. Well, Moto International is a smaller floor space. Maybe they... Yeah, he, he he probably would have gone and got a new building Yeah, to accommodate all three. I gotcha. Well, best of luck anyway to uh, Triumph of Seattle with the new Vespa line. And, you know, if you're looking for a scooter, um, you might be encouraged by your neighbors if you live in some downtown neighborhoods here because there's a lot of people who don't like noisier motorcycles. We found that out, Yes, didn't we? we did, yeah. So uh, there was a, a situation early January um, – Somebody had a Harley, which I would assume it'd be like a stage three or stage straight pipes, who's waking up their neighbors. We didn't really get any specifics, though, did we? No, but it it was enough to let us know that the bike was very loud. Right. And so this uh, particular party goes to work about five in the morning. Yep. On their motorcycle. And he's been getting notes from the neighbors saying, please start your motorcycle somewhere else. You're waking me up. There's 30 people that live here in this building. Well, they no- all get woken up. Notes from one neighbor. One neighbor? Right. I think that was it. And uh, it's, a, it's, a tricky, it's a tricky situation here. Because if you do live in downtown, I mean, you have to expect some level of noise, right? Yeah, and I think, you know, a bus going by is reasonable. Yeah. I think a, an ambulance or a fire truck going by now and then is probably reasonable. Right. I think something with straight pipes or super, super loud pipes that are so loud that you get notes on your vehicle, uh, that's a problem. That may be a problem. I'll tell you what. So I looked at – we posted this on Facebook, mm-hmm. and we had a lot of pro-motorcyclist comments, which is predictable, right, because yep. we're a motorcycle outfit. And then I went to the place of the original posting – which is a neighborhood blog. This is a neighborhood that is in Seattle here. It's right next down to the downtown core. And they have a local blog that originally posted this story. Capitol Hill blog, right? The Capitol Hill blog, exactly. And everything, all of the comments were not in favor of the motorcyclist. Right. And you know what that does is it it, it gives a bad impression of the other 99% of us. 
that we're all bad motorcyclists because we ride loud motorcycles. And I don't know about you. Well, I do know about you. Your yeah. bike's not loud. My bike's not loud. It's not. That's true. And I'm not a loud pipes guy. You know, I, I do like sort of a quieter motorcycle, not just for those around me, but for myself. When I'm riding, you know, these two-lane country roads, I like a little bit of uh, a, lot, a little bit more peace than I would get on a, on a louder motorcycle. But I got to tell you, I was leaning sort of in that direction. And then I read these comments on this blog. And then I started to go a little bit in the other direction because it's like, come on, people. You have to be able to – it's a little bit like – be a good neighbor. You do have to be a good neighbor, but also you got to toughen up once in a while too, right? I mean you can't – Not every morning at 5.30. I don't know. I kind of felt like you're going down – you're on the highway in the left lane going 62 in a 75-mile-an-hour. And when someone's tailgating you a little bit – you're giving them the bird when you maybe should have a little bit of a different expectation. Maybe you should move into the center lane. I don't. So you're saying that everybody on Capitol Hill should move away? No, what I'm saying is you, there is a certain level of expectation that you have to have for noise in general. And just because you can single out one person because you can go after a motorcyclist and you can't go after the fire department... Well, I'll tell you what, a decibel rating on a straight pipe is going to be significantly higher than the sirens on a fire engine. Well, I don't know, because I, I live in downtown, not in this neighborhood, but I'm exposed to a lot of the same noise. I hear a lot of motorcycles. You know how it is when they crack the pipes downtown. I and, definitely uh, it do. It just echoes everywhere. But I also know what it's like when an ambulance drives by your front door. I know what it's like just in general just to have neighbors or people walking along your sidewalk. Like, there's a certain expectation that you have to have. I mean... I'm not, like I said, I'm not a big pro, uh, you know, loud pipes guy. I don't really go for that whole thing. But at the same time, it's like, you got to toughen up a little bit. I mean, okay, you're now is this the part where we reverse positions and now I'm the pro right. pipe guy? <laughs> yeah, <we> good, <laughs> good cop, bad cop, and we switch it up. I mean, look, I get it. Like, loud motorcycles, they can be annoying. And I get that as a group we should maybe have a little bit of an ethic that says, hey, we want to make sure that we're well-received by the community in general. But at the same time, I mean, come on, Capitol Hill, like toughen up a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. And, <laughs> and don't plan on getting any sleep after 530. Well, probably. I just don't know. I don't know if it's that egregious. I mean, look, I, I just it, kind of, it got under my skin a little bit reading those comments because it was all just so like my life is ruined. My life is ruined. It's like, I don't know. Come on, man. Toughen up. Or get some earplugs. Get some earplugs. There you go. Okay, so uh, 50 years ago, uh, like 54 now, Keith yeah. Ty, uh, owner of uh, South Sound Motorcycles, yep. uh, did this little trip down here. I'm holding the book up in front of Derek right now. That's right. I'll try to paint Komodo the best Raid. picture I can. And uh, he and a buddy of his from Oregon went down to South America. And uh, 50 years later in 2013, they did it again. And so uh, Keith has documented both trips, right? And they've put them together as this box set called "The Whole Story." I'm not sure where you can buy this at right now. Well, I'd oh, like, I know you can buy it online. I'd like to know because it looks like uh, they did a really nice job putting it together. You got two books here in a nice little case. Yeah, uh, I, I'll carry it in the store, but I haven't heard from anybody about what the wholesale is or any of that. But if you want to get it online right now, you get it at Keith Rides. Keith's Rides, right. that's plural, uh, keithsrides.com. Well, it looks like, I mean, it's really a fascinating story because I can only imagine, I, I, I'd like to actually take maybe get a copy of that and read that at some point because when you're talking about first doing it in the 1960s as opposed to 2000 and I think 13 was when they did it, yeah. uh, the 50 years later, Yeah, that is some significant difference. I mean, you're talking about no cell phones, no GPS. You're talking about... You didn't even have, you didn't even have adventure bikes then. Right. Every bike was an adventure Every, bike. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. But uh, Every corner was an adventure. That's it. I think it's a really neat idea, and I'd be, I'd be very interested to kind of read the comparison as a whole. And both books, they look like maybe they're about 125, 150 pages apiece. Yep, and you get the, you get the pair for 25 bucks online. That's not I bad don't know at if all. Shipping included yeah. or not, but uh, I'll give you the the set to take home with you today, so you can cool. Yeah, take I, a gander I would definitely left, like to uh, check it out. But I think it's a really cool thing that Keith did. I mean, you do that fifty years later, and you get kind of that different perspective, not just in how the world has changed, but also how, as an individual, how your perception changes the things as you get older too, right? Yeah, 
And maybe he learned how not to take the how not to get dealt with the bribes at the border crossing. I don't know. Well, that's the thing. There's, I mean, it's just, <laughs> it's such an entirely different world because I mean, the things like that. Maybe they were worse. Maybe they're better. I mean, there's just a lot of interesting facets uh, that I think you could gain from that book. Yep. Uh, also, in January, we opened up the registration for the Cafe to Cafe Grand Tour, and uh, put a Facebook post up on that. Got a lot of action on that. Yeah. A lot of people chiming in so um that's one to if you you know if you're looking for something fun to do all riding season right <laughs> riding season when is riding season i think it starts in january and ends in january there you go. right <laughs> uh then that's something that you can add to whatever you're doing because you can go to these well it won't be 15 locations this year it'll be 18 locations no and uh, you can only do nine, and I give you a certificate of completion. Oh, that's pretty cool. Do the front nine or the back nine. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so you split it up kind of like uh, sort of a golf theme in that respect. It's got a little golf theme to it this Nice. Year. Now, you're not much of a golfer, though, outside of that in reality, are you? No, but you know what? Um, I think we talked about this. Um, golf courses can tend to be a pretty safe haven to go get a decent meal at when you're in a not-so-great area. That's true. With good restaurants. So, yeah, and plenty of uh, parking. You have to suss them all out. You know, sometimes you might bump into a municipal thing that's just a, a hot dog and right. a drink. But other ones are really nice. You know, either they're a, a country club open to the public or sure. a resort. Or... Yeah, it's like Mar-a-Lago. Was that the uh, one that was on your list there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a bonus location. That's number nineteen. But what year? What year is this wrapping up? I know we're going to go on to the next topic here, but what? I think that we started this in two thousand eight. Wow! So this will be our ninth year. Awesome, man! Almost coming up on a decade. Well, that's great. Always. Well, what do something... you think? Should we do a book? Yeah, you know, we do fifteen locations every year, and they're always different. Yeah. So we've got tons of places we could. Tell people about absolutely not to mention you know with all the uh, the other books that you've written for dual sport and uh, sort of backcountry riding and everything you could put together some some cool cool routes in there I think yeah because when you get the, when you get the registration package you don't just get the list of the restaurants that you're supposed to go to but we tell you some of the cool roads around each right of them, so yeah well check it out definitely soundrider.com. what else the media meltdown what do you think We're, we've lost uh, yeah. We're going to lose a big staff, a big cluster of staff at the Times. We've, we just lost four papers out on the east side. Right. Well, the, the landscape is definitely changing. I mean, how much longer are we going to have actual, you know, newspapers that are going to be around? I mean, are we going to be down to like five or six regional ones that kind of cover entire territories in the next couple of years? What do you well, think? We're even losing those. Yeah. Oh, you mean regional like the Pacific Northwest Times? Yeah, well, like the Seattle Times might just engulf everything, and the New York Times might just take the Northeast and uh, that sort of thing. Or, yeah. uh, I mean, there's just not. Listen, I, I haven't bought a newspaper. No, me neither. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. It's, I don't know if actually if I ever have. We I'm get one on 30s. Sunday. Yeah. And uh, that's uh, that's how we get the internet access. Right. And then they just sent out a feel good email the other day. And I said to Connie, I said, I think that's the one they're sending before they send out the price increase email. Yes. To yeah, tell you that your subscription is going to get more expensive now. That's inevitable. And you know, I, I, I've never been very impressed with most newspapers. I don't think I think the writing's a little bit trite. I don't think that it really offers too much. I'd, I'd much rather go online and get my information. Well, so in case anybody was wondering, here we are. Yeah, that's <laughs> We're right. We're not going away. We don't have any plans on cutting back because we've run it on a shoestring for seventeen years, sure. eighteen years now, going on eighteen years. But uh, we're here, and we're, we're going to keep doing what we're doing. And uh, I do encourage people, when you're looking at SoundWriter or, or any publication that you enjoy reading, if you're using an ad blocker, whitelist that site and take a look yeah. at what their ads are. Because there's some, be, you know, for us, all our ads are local. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're not trying to sell you Dunlop tires or all the usual stuff you see on No. The really, that's actually, you know, especially for SoundWriter, that is one of the features 
is that you get introduced, I think, to this local media. Because like you said, it's not like we're on there, you know, selling penis pills or stuff like that. I mean, you know, it's... it's yeah, you never see those ads on Yeah, Colorado. it's legit so, native advertising. I mean, we're talking about motorcycle stores, dealers, products. Everything is really relevant to, yeah. uh, to the consumer. Local so. businesses that you may already patronize or may benefit from patronizing. Later. Right, absolutely. So. so make sure you check that out and just always take that into consideration. You know, we don't want to get too much into the whole shameless plug there. We already did that with iTunes earlier but uh, certainly there's a lot of information as a, an area rider that you can gain from just checking out those ads so uh, bmw riders of oregon put out this uh, contest to i guess some grade schools around yeah. oregon and a seventh grader has won the logo design for their rally this year i was pretty impressed yeah. you know i don't have uh i've never been much in the uh, the design department so uh, my hat's off to this young man uh, because he really did a great job. He get, met the requirements yeah. and uh, brought together, I thought, a really nice logo for them. And uh, that that rally is called the Chief Joseph Rally. So mm-hmm. he's got some elements of Chief Joseph and Inez Pearson there. He's got uh, a BMW motorcycle in there. And it's yeah. all around the mark, the BMW mark. That's right. So uh, good job. Yeah, I thought he did a nice job on it too. So hats off to them. And uh, I don't, what year are they going on? There was uh, that BMW organization. It's like 35th, I think. Yeah, they've been around for a long time. Long so time. Keep doing what you're doing. Well, you got a couple of RIPs, sadly. Uh, first one is Victory Motorcycles. Yep. Bummer. Um, this felt like an eventuality to me. We did some digging on this, and it looks like I think I think you did the digging, and you said that they're going to move the electric motorcycle to the Indian brand name, right? So the the Bramo, the Bramo is probably going to continue underneath the the Indian badge there, which makes sense. I, you know, Victory, they seem to make an okay motorcycle, and I've got nothing against it, but I just really didn't feel like there was any opportunity for them to get any sort of relevant market share. Well, I think. I don't know. A lot of people said this, and I tend to agree with it. They were going after the metric market, right? And if, if you look at the metric market over the last decade, uh, the sales have kind of been down on the cruiser. Sure. So uh, tough one to tough one to be battling it out in. Um, yeah, it's a tricky market for sure. But I mean, a lot of that technology and everything though is just going to go over to Indian anyway. So it's not like it's a no. And if you own a victory, you, you're still going to get. You're still going to have service available to you. You know, that, yeah. that's all guaranteed for a certain amount of time. Right. Uh, in fact, if you want to go buy one of the last ones on the market right now, that, that it wouldn't be a bad buy. You'd probably get a good deal, and you'd still be able to get the service and parts yeah. for a, an extended period of time. Yeah, if you got twenty or $30,000 lying around, go pick up a victory, right? Well, no, no, no. They got they got some less expensive ones than that. I thought they were all around. I thought they, they started at 19 or so. cruisers. There. Okay. Uh, R.I.P. also to uh, well-known legendary racer here in the Pacific Northwest, Bud, Bud, Bob Budshot. And uh, Dave Richardson from Moto International gave us a real nice article that we have put up on Soundwriter about his personal experience with Bob. So you not only learn a little bit about his racing history, but uh, you also learn about his history as a motorcycle dealer here in the Pacific Northwest. Sure. How he encouraged others and, and influenced people, and and uh, quite interesting. Yeah. He was loved by a lot of people. Well, I tell you, over and over again, I'm always impressed at how many genuinely good characters the Pacific Northwest has produced in the world of motorcycling. A lot of interesting people have, uh, mm-hmm. have come through here. So, uh, you know, to our best to, uh, to Bob's family, certainly. Yep. Uh, not a lot of calendar items, uh, usual suspects, which we won't go through here on the show, but sure. you can see them online at the Soundwriter calendar. Uh, the one that I would make uh, mention on for sure is don't miss the one motorcycle show down in Portland, which runs from the 10th through the 12th. And uh, Mark Eddy from Valentine Motorsworks yeah. is going to have his uh, that beautiful H1 that we did the article on. That's right. That's going to be down at that show, so you can get a look at it. And I got a feeling that bike's going to keep changing over time. Incarnations there. Well, it has it has great bones, right? I mean, it's got uh, a lot of good features to it. So why well, not he just toughened keep... it up a lot too? Sure. Well, he knows what he's doing down there. Those guys at Valentine are uh, are pretty good mechanics. Holy smokes, another long-winded right. segment. <laughs> well, news bites and calendar, though, so that's two for one for you. We always try to <laughs> give you your maximum value here at Soundrider. All right, we got a really fun segment coming up here. We've got some uh, Q&A from our readers in a very special way. We'll be right back. 
Support for SoundWriter and the SoundWriter Show is made possible in part by Linwood Motoplex, your gateway to motorcycling adventure in the Pacific Northwest. Choose from brands like Indian, KTM, BMW, Kawasaki, Victory, Yamaha, Can-Am, and more. Family owned and operated for over 25 years. Linwood Motoplex is your one-stop shop for fun. Hi, this is Misty from Dunlop Motorcycle Tires, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hello there, my name's Scott. I live in Everett, Washington, and I've ridden for the majority of my life. I'm 52 years old now, uh, mostly motocross and off-road stuff. That's the racing I did, but uh, thinking about an adventure bike and whether I go with just a good old-fashioned dual sport that might be a few years older or something that's really zoot, don't know yet, but uh, just getting interested and paying attention to what adventure bikes are out there. studio here on the sound rider show and if you've got questions well tom and i have answers and we've got some questions but there's kind of an interesting genesis to how these came about tom take us through that a little bit so um typically once a month or so i like to sit down and look at the stats on the site and see what uh what kind of keywords people are putting in and that bring them to the site and, you know, we like to do our Q&A sections every now and then. And I thought, well, you know what? Why don't, we, why don't we have a little fun? We'll take some of those keyword searches. We'll turn them into logical questions. Yeah. And then uh, we'll, we'll even have more fun. We'll just make up names for who it might have been who submitted that. Right, because we don't know who submitted it. It's just they go to the site, they search for something, and then they see what kind of relevant uh, results come out. So why don't I lead us off here? I'll read you the first question. And, uh, and who's it from? So the first one's from Frozen Fred. Frozen Fred, yep. see? There we go. And he says, what's the best way to keep your hands warm on a motorcycle? Okay, so... Um, Probably not ride it at all would be one way. Well, then you wouldn't be on your motorcycle, right? <laughs> so that would be... uh, how about stick them under your legs between the seat and your thighs? There you go, yeah. Try to steer with one foot and yeah. kind of keep them in your armpits maybe. Uh, we have a article in the archive, and you can search the archive by going on SoundRider, clicking more up in the top right, and then you'll see search, and you can search for what uh, called 10 ways to stay warm on your motorcycle. Yeah. And we have a lot of good tips on how to uh, keep yourself comfortable when you're on the bike when it's cold. Right. Uh, ultimately, with the hands and the feet, after about a half hour is my rule. At 60 miles an hour, there is just no heat left down in those sure. limbs. And you've got to do something synthetic, whether it's putting in some of those grabbers like we talked about. Maybe good you're going to get some heated clothing. Uh, you, need to go, you need to move to the synthetic heat. Uh, if you're just commuting 20 minutes, you're going to be fine. Yeah, you can you can tough that out. And that's a lot of it depends on what type of riding you plan on doing. Because if you're going to go around the Olympic Peninsula in February, uh, you might want to get a little more heavy-duty gear-wise or get some electric gear. Yeah, exactly. And the more you can keep your core warm by wearing a, a, a nice, whether it's a heated vest yeah. or at least a good insulated vest, uh, the warmer you can keep your core, then the, the longer it'll be before those outer limbs get cold. Right. Well, I've been told I have a warm heart, so I'd probably be okay. Mm. <laughs> and then it was your cardiologist who said that? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, here's the next question. This one comes from Caitlin the Olympian. Yes, Caitlin, I have, I have Bruce the reality star. I don't know where you are. No, okay. No, I'm with you. All right. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Caitlin the Olympian. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, do real bikers wear stockings when it's cold? Well, you know, this is interesting. Um, the answer is that, uh, some of them do, I guess. I hadn't heard of this too much, but we had a conversation, uh, a couple of weeks ago when we first, uh, when you first brought this to my attention and apparently that, uh, in a pinch stockings can serve as an okay base layer, I guess. It is an old tip that people have used. Yeah. 
Uh, I thought the answer was, do real swimmers wear stockings when they race? Right. I guess that's not the answer. Uh, but yeah, it's it's uh, you, you get a little bit of, um, I guess what's going on is you're sort of energizing the aura and insulating it to some degree, and you're, you're retaining a bit of heat. So, you know, I would encourage all our readers, when they get done listening to the show, go buy yourselves a pair of pantyhose if you don't already have right. some, whether you're a guy or a girl, and put them on and go for a motorcycle ride. And, and you know, get on our Facebook page and let us know how it worked out for yeah. you. We would particularly appreciate it if you put a photograph of yourself on sure. those pantyhose on. That's right. Or look out for the next Soundwriter photo contest. Now, the reality of this is if you go down in pantyhose... Um, I don't know what I meant when I said that, but um, <laughs> if 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 you come off your bike and you're wearing pantyhose, yes. all that nylon is going to melt to your skin if you get a road rash. Right. So that's gonna not be a very pretty story over at the ER side of things. Well, you're gonna have a lot of explaining to do. So uh, you know, put the pantyhose on, but make sure you put some protective gear, maybe some leathers on, or some good textile clothing, right. anything to 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 keep yourself from melting into those pantyhose. Or you can spring the fifty or sixty bucks and get a legit motorcycle base layer. Yeah. Right? I mean, that's always a good suggestion. Yeah. Oh, you mean like the one we sell in our store? Yes, like the, right. <laughs> like the one we sell at the Soundwriter that's store. Right. But let's say that, uh, you know, it's too late. You've already packed your bags and you're getting ready uh, to head somewhere else. We've got a question here that says, I'm thinking about riding to Alaska. Have you got any advice? And this is from Cody Ack. Cody Ack. Yeah. Cody from Ack. That's right. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, Colleen first did a whole series of riding to Alaska for us about 10 years ago, mm -hmm. and we've got that also in the archive, so you can find that there, and it's a four-part series, so there's quite a bit of information that um, that's going on with the information she provided. There's also several books on the subject now that didn't exist even 10 years ago. Sure. Uh, and then there's other things like the Lonely Planet Guide and those things. So, yeah, the more research you do, uh, you can also go into forums and get, you know, some hearsay from other people who may have done it before or, or they're also thinking about going and may, might want to connect with you. So, Do you have any plans to do an Alaska ride at any time in the future here? I don't. No? It's just never been on my list. I gotcha. I, I, I don't know. I just – every time I think about it or talk to someone about it, I get – I'm never romanticized by it. Sure. Well, I think it's changed a lot, definitely, in the last uh, couple of decades. But Colleen's article, that's still always one of our most popular archive pieces yep. that gets traffic month after month. So certainly go ahead and check that out. All right. This one comes from a gentleman whose name is Detail Dan. And Detail Dan says, what's the best way to wax a motorcycle? Yeah, well, that's a great question. You know, what I would say is you want to start out, you want to use a top-grade wax, you know, something like uh, 3M, you know, they're black pearl, and you want to use that probably annually, right? Yeah. Yeah, okay. so you want to make sure that you're redoing that wax job pretty consistently. You want to apply it and remove it by hand. And then, of course, uh, if you need to touch it up every few months, you can use something like a, uh, I think it's uh, Griot's Garage Spray. Yeah. And uh, you use that on the wax right after washing, and you should be good to go. It's a spray-on wax. So yeah. Even when, when, with, uh, with the bike just a little bit wet on the, on the painted areas, you just spray that on, and then you rub it off, and uh, that puts in a little extra bit of wax on for you. Right. Now, when I wax a motorcycle, I like to do it poetically. Buzzing. Where's the rim shot when you need that? Can we add, can we edit that in at some point? <laughs> well, you know, well, what do you suggest for me? I don't. I, the only thing I can wax on my bike is the frame. Everything else is plastic. Well, then you need a plastic polish. Yeah. If you want to do that. Sure. I mean, some people just like to let it get more gnarly. Gnarlier. I kind of like that, yeah. Well, from last episode, you told me that this is the year I'm going to get a second motorcycle, so I can kind of let the appearance of this one go, right? Yep. Maybe I can wax the happy happy uh, trails panniers. I can. Yeah, get or those burnish them. Yeah. Well, no, no, no. See, they're uh, they're, they're, they're the aluminum. black metal, right? No, no, they're the they're, oh, they're aluminum. The bare okay. aluminum, yeah. Yeah. So you could you could burnish them, do some real nice kind of stainless look to them. That's right. <laughs> well, speaking of gnarly rides, our next question is from Gnarly Ride Pete. And he wants to know how come Butler Maps don't uh, how come Butler Maps doesn't sell a map or DVD for the Oregon Backcountry Discovery Route. Well, gnarly ride, Pete. You came to the right place because I think we got an answer for you. Yeah. Uh, the Oregon Backcountry Discovery Route was one of the very first 
backcountry discovery routes on the West Coast. In fact, I believe it was the first one. I think you're right. And uh, I wrote it in 2005. I did not complete it. And uh, but but that route had been developed by the off-road community down there in Oregon. Yes. And so when Butler decided to get involved with doing the or the the two gentlemen, however it turned out. Um, when they decided to get involved with doing a Washington backcountry discovery route, it was a totally different group of people that put that together. And then Sterling Noren did the DVD, and they were on their way. And then they have subsequently released backcountry discovery routes for Arizona, Utah, yeah. Nevada, well, my sen- Idaho. My sense is that, particularly when you talk about you did it in 2005, that was a little – things were have tamed – a little bit, right? A lot. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think they wanted to get into the Oregon one knowing that it had already been done by somebody else and they just didn't want to step on their feet or whatever. Sure. But those people in Oregon now have like five different altercations of the original. Some of them run east-west instead of north-south. Okay. So you could keep yourself pretty busy all summer just doing Oregon backcountry discovery routes. That's true. And there's a lot of backcountry to discover. I mean, it's such a wide open state. Well, I was glad to see him expand it because the original route, personally, I didn't I didn't think it was very uh, scenic. Okay. They had kind of tucked in the woods the whole time or? You're either tucked in the woods or out in the desert, but you really gotcha. weren't seeing, like, you know, you didn't see things like uh, Mount Hood or... Or uh, any of the the really, I mean, a cu- couple of land features, but sure. not a lot. And uh, I haven't looked at these current routes, but I'm guessing they've incorporated more of that into the new ones. I would hope so. Anyway, I mean, there's a lot there's a lot to see in Oregon, so you know, still probably worth a ride, maybe. So people are asking, uh, what are we going to do for Sasquatch this year? Yeah, and we're watching the, the weather right now. We don't have a, a definitive plan, but one thing I'd like to do is I would like to go run uh, the uh, Oregon Cascades the way we did it uh, in the very first or second, very this very second Sasquatch. We went up and down the Oregon Cascades. Yeah, well, you want to talk about scenery, man? That's that's beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> mind blowing, definitely. So that's something that we're looking at, but we gotta wait. And see where the weather takes us, and we won't really know anything until probably mid-March of what the route's going to be. Right. All right. Uh, oh, this is from the Frank Bledon family. That's mm. the owner of the Seattle Times. Sure. And uh, the Bledon family asked a question, uh, is it okay to dry a motorcycle using newspaper? Well, Frank, the short answer is I'm very sorry, but no. We haven't found an alternative use for your newspaper products, uh, and that's just because they're too scratchy. I mean, it's just going to... scratchy, scratchy. It is. Well, basically, when you're talking about paper, you're talking about wood. Yep. You know, so you're talking about uh, really just something that's too abrasive, I think. Um, Better off using a microfiber towel. You know, it'd be nice if they printed a newspaper on a microfiber towel. Now, that would be... That'd be an awesome. I- that's an idea. Maybe we should uh, we should send our question in to uh, Frank, and he can do that on his podcast. And then when they raise your subscription, you'll understand. Right. <laughs> <laughs> but no, short answer is you know microfiber towel, and they aren't that expensive. We actually have them in the Soundrider store. We've got some nice ones in the Soundrider store. Of course, you can buy them at the hardware store, but they're not going to be the same quality. Right. But uh, anytime you're cleaning paint, anytime you're drying off paint or or uh, uh, cleaning your face shield, all those things can really get scratched up by paper. Yes, that's absolutely true. And like you said with the face shield, another great use for that microfiber towel. All right, this one comes to us from Endurance Ed. And Endurance Ed asks a question, uh, I'd like more information about the classic, the Cascade Classic 1000 Endurance Run. Right, well, unfortunately, Ed, as far as we can tell, it looks like the event uh, is no longer with us. And uh, it also looks like uh, other events like the Lawman 1000, um, it looks like that's probably not going to be around much either. But there are some still great rides out there that you can find out about on the Iron Butt website for uh, endurance rides that are 1,000 miles or longer, right? I don't, you know, I don't know too much about this, so maybe I'll defer to you on this, Tom. What are maybe some of your suggestions for Ed? Um, definitely go to the Iron Butt. What is it, ironbutt.com? I think so, yeah. Go to the Iron Butt website, and they have a listing by area of what kind of uh, events are going on. And also, you don't need to do one of those events in order to get a certificate from the Iron Butt Association. Right. Uh, you can just go and follow their rules and do yourself a 500, 1,000, or 1,500-mile ride and get a uh, IBMA 
certificate yeah or placard or whatever they give out there now that's a thousand with these thousand mile rides it's a thousand miles in 24 hours uh yeah it's a thousand twenty four and fifteen hundred and thirty six right? okay that's, that's a lot of riding. I mean, you're talking I about a lot of riding. A long day. You might want to go to Rich and get a custom seat before you undertake that. There you that, go. Right? And Rich is an IBMA rider. Sure. He's, uh, he did the one that went from Seattle all the way down to L.A. and then across to Florida. Wow. So Let's call it the Big L, huh? <coughs> that was like the 10-day deal. That's their annual deal that they do each year. Right. Route, but. Well, I tell you what. Maybe if you're going to go from uh, you know L.A. all the way to Florida... Uh, maybe that's where Goldwing Gary has his next question, which is, what is the best bed for motorcycle camping? I had to laugh when I saw that one come up on the keyboard. Right. <laughs> but, you know, Gary Goldwing, I got to tell you, um, since you got the Goldwing, all you need to do is uh, tow a Magic Fingers bed on yeah. the back, and you'll you'll be rocking, dude. That's it. Now, do you uh, you get quarters as you go along to operate that Magic Fingers, or do you just bring them with you? Yeah, well, you may have to stop and work somewhere in the kitchen <laughs> and get more quarters to keep it going. Uh, you know, and I wonder, uh, anybody making a rain tuano to put over that Magic Fingers bed? Right. You need to uh, really do some work there if you're going to bring a Magic Fingers with you. But, you know, we have some friends who bring air mattresses and that kind of stuff. Have you ever done anything like that? Do like a full-sized air mattress on your motorcycle or? No, I've carried air mattresses, but I've not... Uh, you know, they're the the the, so you, the like the camping stuff, size. right? Yeah. yeah. But I mean, I know people. We know people who bring you know twin size or queen size air mattresses mm-hmm. and uh, really Got those pop up tents on yeah, the back. Yeah, really camping that. comfort there. So, so just goes to show you though. You know, there's no right way to do motorcycle touring or adventure motorcycling. You just you do whatever you want to do and have fun. Yeah, you just keep uh, you just keep going through and doing it different every year. Yeah, absolutely. So, keep you know, it fresh. one year you might get the Magic Fingers bed, and the next year you might want to really par it down and and just have a nice Exped air mat. Yeah, or just a hammock and uh, your grit. All right. Well, this one comes to us from uh, Old Faithful, and she's asking, uh, "When is the best time to ride through Yellowstone?" That's a great question, and I think you and I are probably in agreement on this, and that would be. Early September, after the Labor Day crowds have gone. I totally agree. Yeah. I mean, Yellowstone is beautiful. It is absolutely gorgeous. But if you go there in the middle of the summer, it is a complete nightmare because it is wall-to-wall people. You don't feel like you're in nature at all. You're going to have your feet on the ground a lot. Yes. Because you're going to be in traffic. And if you start to go after Labor Day, you may start to catch uh, some of that early uh, fall color change, which Mm -hmm. is gorgeous that time of year. So. It's a, you know, I'd say that, you know, sometime early September, uh, even if we have a warmer uh, fall, you can get into early October. It gets a little cold in the morning. Well, let's, let's go back I've to our first, it. go back to our first question. How do you keep your hands warm on a motorcycle, <laughs> right? <laughs> so our next question is uh, a bike that you, is about a bike you may or may not want to take out to uh, see Old Faithful. And this comes from Chili Masala. And he asks, is the Royal Enfield Bullet a muscle bike or a cruiser bike? Chili Masala, the Royal Enfield Bullet is whatever you want it to be in your mind. That's right. But I would tend to think it's neither of the two. Well, you have it somewhere between uh, paperweight and garage ornament, don't you? A uh, muscle bike, I'm not too sure that really fits no. it, and it doesn't have a lean-back thing to it, so I don't think it's a cruiser bike. But I, I, Yeah, I would say that this is a standard bike myself, right, if you were going to categorize it's a standard, it. and you could cafe it if you want. And you can, uh, you know, you were talking about Rich at Rich's Custom Seats yeah. before, and Rich has one that he turned into a sidecar and promptly blew it up because it really doesn't do well taking a sidecar down the freeway. No, they're not designed for that they don't really do all that well going down the freeway on their own i think they're best suited for about 50 miles an hour yeah you know so two lane highway so keep shopping chili keep keep shopping good suggestion <laughs> all right this one comes to us from a gentleman uh, writer named john goodman and john says what happens if you exceed the gross vehicle weight requirement or what is it maximum on a motorcycle Bad, bad things, bad John. Bad yeah. things, John. You don't want to do that. Don't do it. Make sure you get a bike that's the right size for your size. John. Yes, that is uh, another excellent suggestion. But what what can happen? Um, you had some uh, 
sort of fishtaily yeah. experience on your bike. Right. It may have been a little bit overloaded on the back end. Possibly, yeah. Well, you know, that's I, I draw maybe a little bit of uh, comparison here between, you know, some of my aviation experience. And uh, one of the things that you're required to do every time before you leave for a flight is to do your weight and balance. So they have charts in the operating manuals that kind of talk about uh, where you should position the weight of the airplane, how to take into consideration the fuel and that kind of thing. Because, for instance, if you take off in an airplane that is uh, nose heavy, um, you may be able to do that by yanking back on the stick. But you might also get into a position where you need to actually yank back on the stick. And if your nose is heavy, you don't have the control articulation uh, as far back right, as to overcome to. that. So, mm -hmm. you know, that is a little bit like when we talk about, you know, my wreck where I had uh, some load on the back of a small motorcycle. That's kind of a good way to think about it. We don't know if that's specifically the case, obviously, but you really want to make sure that that weight is well balanced. Um, I met a few years ago with the Happy Trails guys, um, with uh, Tim Bernard, and he was talking about when you're going out on adventure motorcycling, really balancing that weight. You've got the panniers on the back, but you might also want to put some weight around the gas tank yeah. and uh, kind of even out that load. And it's the same thing. you know. If you start to overload your motorcycle, you got to be careful because it just might not be within sort of that control envelope. And when you do need it, it may not be there. And when you do start overloading that motorcycle, um, people who, who ridiculously overload their motorcycles also sometimes tend to forget about checking the air pressure and the sure. tires. And then they come around a corner, and next thing you know, they flat out in the corner, and that's not what you want to have happen. You certainly don't. So um, if, if you think your motorcycle, first of all, if you know you're exceeding the gross vehicle weight on it, uh, you need to back it off. And yeah. Figure out how to pack better. Pack light, pack right. Or get a bike that's big enough to take all that stuff you want. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, we have another long-winded segment. We have come through, and we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to close up the show with some tips and tricks. Stick around. Support for Soundwriter and the Soundwriter Show is made possible in part by... Skagit Power Sports, where you'll find one of the largest selections of new and used motorcycles, apparel, and gear in the North Sound. Skagit Power Sports provides a relaxed atmosphere and no-pressure sales staff to get you into your next bike simply and quickly. And that's why they are consistently voted the top dealer in the Pacific Northwest by Sound Riders year after year. Visit them in Burlington today or find them online at SkagitPowerSports.com. Hi, everybody. This is Ryan Brown from Seattle Cycle Center, and you're listening to The Sound Rider Show. Hi, I'm Brian McMorrin from Peachland, British Columbia, Canada, and one of my favorite rides is from the Ravina Curves between Moser and the Dalles. final segment here on the february episode of the sound rider show and of course we wouldn't leave you without some tips and tricks tom why don't you get things started here in this final segment uh i hear you got a good one this month yeah it took me a while to remember right. too. uh so uh it is uh february yep and uh i like so many motorcyclists have all the bikes down in the garage sitting sure covered and uh if you haven't done it yet this winter now is the time to go down and uh get those Air pressure's up in the tires. Uh, rot or, you know, rotate the bike around a little bit so it's not sitting on the same part of the tire. And then uh, also uh, plug it in to the battery charger yeah. and keep that battery stabilized. And uh, don't worry, you know what? I, I, I tell you, I'm really looking forward to spring because then we're going to get those bikes out. And what's going to happen is we're going to stop being Republicans. We're going to stop being Democrats. Yeah. We're all going to put on our helmets and we're going to go for a motorcycle ride. And we're going to be so much happier when it gets here. We're all going to be independents, right? Out on that motorcycle. Yeah. Yeah. I like that, definitely. Um, and that's great. Those are great suggestions, too, because you want to keep things fresh because then when the summertime rolls around, uh, you can just go out and ride. You don't have to worry about uh, doing all that maintenance work and getting things back up. Uh, well, you probably want to check them one more time. Definitely. But but, but you want to keep them up in the wintertime. Yeah. 
Well, it's because you don't, then you won't be behind the eight ball. You don't get stuck in that service crowd where everybody's rolling their bikes into the shop, and then you can't ride for three weeks of summer because yeah. you didn't do. And don't don't forget when June gets here, you got to switch out your Springer and put your summer in. That's the most important so. tip. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so my tip this month is to shop for a new bike, and here's why. Uh, that's my tip. It's because you can learn a lot about your motorcycle. You can learn a, le- a lot about motorcycles in general just by doing the research on a new motorcycle. So if you see something that looks good on the showroom floor, start to do some detailed information gathering on it. Start to figure out things, um, you know, just sort of operation-wise, things like rake and trail. Start to learn some new terminology. That's really going to apply to the motorcycle that you have. But also, when you go to buy that next motorcycle, you're going to have an even greater idea of what may suit your riding style the best. So... We're always, so even if you're not thinking of yeah. buying a new motorcycle, shop for one. But let's just say if if you're not if if you're not serious, don't start taking up a salesman's time. No, 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 questions. don't do that. But start to uh, you know do the internet research. Uh, start to maybe get a copy. See if you can get a copy of an online uh, operate operator's manual, and just start to use that as sort of a nice project to learn more about your motorcycle and about the sport in general. I think that sort of practical research can really go a long way to improving your riding. Yeah, I think because I went uh, what I got, I went ten years between buying new motorcycles. Sure. And the technology changes, and uh, you know, so much great suspension that you get on Definitely. stop, stop, but stock bike, yeah, now. and uh, so many good brake configurations and things that just didn't exist, right? Well, and also too, you know, sometimes you fall in love with a bike that may be a new model. Next thing you know, it's three years down the road, and there you, you can go. get a used one of these or yep. a hot deal bike one of these for a great steal. So. There's always a lot of good information to be had. It might pay off even double in the end when you can buy one of these uh, on the cheap in a few years. But, you know, use it as a fun project. You get to research some motorcycles and uh, enjoy the sport that you love, and this is a great way to do it. Or even go back and look at the bikes that came out three years ago and say, hey, well, yeah. maybe that, maybe that's my next bike right there, and that's maybe right. I can afford it too. Yeah, so. pull off some of those archive pieces and that kind of thing because there's a lot of great information out there. You know how many motorcycles you're supposed to own? How many is that? Just one more. <laughs> All right, folks, that's our uh, February show, and we're uh, happy you sat in here with us, and um, we'll be back doing the March show. Uh, if you got any comments for us, you can email us off the site. You can leave us a post up on our Facebook page, and uh, we want you to ride well. We want you to ride safe, ride often, and don't ride like my mother and don't ride like my mother make sure to like us on itunes and we'll see you in march on the sound rider show the sound rider show was made possible by today's sponsors and the patience of everyone else involved which is not to say we're doctors reproduction of this program in part or in whole is not legal without the express written consent of the podcast owner but please be sure to share the link with all your facebook friends This program is a production of Mixed Media. The content and views of today's guests do not necessarily reflect the opinions of any major media conglomerate anywhere else in the world, including CBS, NBC, ABC, MotoGP, the BBC, PBS, NPR, the Discovery Network, or the Cartoon Channel. See you next time on The Sound Rider Show.